We good? Good morning. I'm so happy to be here with you, and I just want you to notice this is a highly intentional wardrobe item I'm wearing. If you can see online, what I'm wearing is a shirt with an Augusta National icon on it. That's what that is. There's at least one other shirt like that in the room, at least one. Now, I'm wearing this today because I'm really, really bad at golf. And you know what? It, I'll put it, I'm just going to give it to you straight. It sucks to suck. Okay, that's, that's the truth. So I'm really bad at golf. Now, what I mean by that is I think I'm a pretty decent athlete, and I try, and I used to be in the 80s, and my handicap was like, in, like I could be in the 80s, and now I'm majoring in double bogey, and in order to stay in the 80s, you got to match your double bogeys with your pars, and I ain't doing that. So, and the other thing you need to know is, full disclosure, I gamble on Sundays playing golf, and I lose all the time. It's just two bucks a hole or a buck a hole, so it's not big money. But, but you know, if I have to hand you out a little steal on the 18th green, one dollar, it really aggravates me. I hate it. It's not about the dollar. It's that I lost. And so, due to all of that, because I'm so bad at golf and I hurt my own feelings being so bad at golf, that's how bad I am, that today I'm not going over there. I ain't playing. I'm going home. I'm going to sleep on the couch. I'm going to watch the miserable bucks, and that's what I'm going to do today. <laughs> as bad, however, as I am at golf, I'm worse at the serious stuff that we're going to talk about this morning. You with me? I'm worse at it, and I'm just telling you the truth. And you know what? You ain't going to like what I'm going to tell you this morning because you ain't going to be very good at it either. But we're all going to agree that it's dead, rock-solid truth that's so important about how we relate. So let's go back to the series we're in. One at a time, the unexpected way that God wants to use you to change the world. And I do think that you and I want to be people that make a difference. And we want more than just acquiring and accomplishing and achieving and prestige and all of those things. We want to make a difference. And when we're, when we're our best selves, we realize that's usually, it's usually how we are in relationship with other people. We want to be good parents. We want to be good spouses. We want to be good children. We want to be good friends. We want to be good neighbors. And we want our friendships and all of those relationships to matter and make a difference. And we want to be players in that arena. I think that's what we want. It's easy to get distracted by this other stuff. It's easy to get distracted by, get, see what I did? I threw the legs out way too soon. I don't have a chance. It's going to go low and it's going to go right. And I know it, but I can't stop it. <laughs> oh. Then I hit one bad and then I hit another one bad because I'm still mad about the one I hit bad and I want to quit and go home, but I'm too proud to do that. And so I just lose money and then I go home. <laughs> You're not going to like what's going to happen this morning, though, because it's on top of the goodness of wanting to be able to be people that make a difference. Today's subtitle, Extra Mile Mentality. Extra Mile Mentality. We're going to learn that we're supposed to be people that love people so much that we go the extra mile, and it's worse than that. It's going to be people we don't like. Even in the Bible, the word ekthros gets used, enemy. Ooh, 
And I'm not very good at it. I'm bad at it. But I know it's right. So let's dig in. Let's have some fun with this. And we're going to start by making sure we start where Jesus always starts, with it, which is our identity as Jesus' followers. So we're in the Sermon of the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7 is the Sermon of the Mount. And that's where these verses are going to come from. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to learn about extra, men, extra mile mentality. But to set the stage for that, we need to see some of the words that Jesus says prior to the extra mile mentality verse. So we're going to start Matthew chapter 5 about verse 13. And look at what Jesus is saying to us. Now I want you to think of yourself as understanding your Jesus follower identity. Okay, what we're doing is we're being told who we are by Jesus. And then in a few minutes we're going to be told what we're supposed to go do with it. You are the salt of the earth. So the first thing you need to understand is you there is plural. Uh, if you want to see it, I wrote it out in Greek right here. I'll show you the plural. It's you, but it's plural. Really important. We're a family. You have an individual, obviously, an individual part to play, but we make our individual parts into the part of the whole. It's both at the same time, and this is us as a family of faith. We are individually and as a family the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Salt was thought to be an essential ingredient for life in the ancient world. I wouldn't say that salt is an, in, uh, an essential ingredient today. For most of us, we have too much of it. I thought, what would be in parallel? I thought, maybe electricity. What is it that we simply don't do very well without? What did salt do for those folks? It did two things, and we're going to see that metaphorically it works that way as a family trying to be. Jesus' followers are salt. What does salt do? It brings out the flavor, and it helps to preserve, or said slightly different. Not, maybe you don't want to think preserve. It, it keeps things from getting corrupted. Food, right? So what does that mean about us? We're bringing the flavor out of people. That's, that's very attractive to me. We're bringing the flavor out of people. Our identity, my identity, if I'm a Jesus follower, what happens to me is I bring flavor out of people and I help all of us not get corrupted, not to go bad. So just, just taking a look at that and think about it a minute. Jesus says, you're part of what I've done is I've made you, if you're following me, I've made you into people who bring the best out of other people. It's a fundamental meaning of your identity. Just so you understand, Jesus is not making this up. Hyperlink, the very first page of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. We are made in God's image. We are image bearers and we are made God's partners as God's image bearers. We are like God and we're put into the world to do God's work for God. We're stewards of everything that we are. And Jesus uses the metaphor of salt because everyone would have understood him. So there, we're working on our identity. I hyperlinked it to the way you were made by God. Let's go to another piece of identity that Jesus is wanting to make sure we understand. You are the light of the world. We're salt. We bring the flavor out. We help things, from, help things. relationships primarily is what he means there, people from going bad. And then also we're light. Well, what does light do? In the broadest sense in the Bible, I think light is where God is shining. And when God shines through us, Hope rises. 
when, when something is light, lit, lit up bright, you might see now something you didn't see before and your hope begins to resurrect a little bit. So light helps people find their way. You can see clearly when things are bright. And that's what we do. We, we help each other find our way. We can see things for what they are. We can, and the opposite of light is darkness. And what happens if we don't shine our lights? People stumble. People fall. They get lost. And Jesus has in mind, though we're not reading the text, where, he's, where he is. He's in the upper, he's in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And he gives this sermon on a hill. And he can see across the hill another little town on the top of the hill. And this town is a bunch of people. And the, the impact is all of the people, the lights of the town. You can see it. And so that's his point, that we can see light. And the whole point of light is so you can see it. You wouldn't put a, turn a light on and then cover it up. He's, it's just making common sense. Well, so he says all of that again. We're talking about identity. Who am I? My job. And we're flying at 10,000 feet. In a few minutes, we're landing the plane. I promise you. But it's still identity. So here, notice what light does. So our identity, salt, light, made in God's image, made to be God's partners. Here's our job description. For the Jesus follower, our job description is to glorify God. Look how he says it here. Now we're just in verse 16, 13, 14, 16. Let your light shine, as he finishes up the light metaphor, before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Your job description, my job description, is to make God the obvious object of our adoration. But let, just really being clear here, Jesus' followers, we understand that when we're making God look good, we're able to do so. We're able to be light. We're able to be salt, not because we're special. It's God's transforming presence in us. And so what we, we acknowledge that God has made me into a different person. And that's what it means. It's simple. Every one of us can do it. Every one of us can say, I'm different because of what God is doing and has done inside of me. And guess what? When we can say that, God looks good. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Our lives are purposed around our identity as Jesus followers who are made by God as salt and light and his partners and his image bearers. And the goal of all of that is that God himself would look good. We've surrendered to his kingship. And when we do that, the next thing you know, we make him look good. And he is good. So that's what Jesus is trying to say. That's the big identity stuff. Um, one other thing I want to make sure I say this. You and I have individually the responsibility, the privilege of choosing to be surrendered subjects of the king. Right? That's important. We, we must do that individually. But that's not enough. We don't simply do that or only do that. We're together. It's a plural. It's you plural. So you, you're a part of this family and you're choosing to be a part of it. But then together as the family, all of us together, we are a family who, is, in a sense, is a light on a hill. And we shine in a world where there's plenty of dark places. We're not judging. It's coming from God. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just doing what God made me to do. And the next thing you know, people find their way because they were lost. They fell down. They see it this time, and they don't fall the next time. And then we do it together, and we do it. We do, we're loving, and we just go together. It's fantastic. Well, that, all that's the easy part. 
that's the fluffy part. Did you enjoy that fluff, did you? Well, you ain't going to like what's coming next. Not a bit. I don't like it. It's hard. Here's what Jesus says. Extra mile mentality. He says this, verse 41. You ready for this? If anyone forces you to go one mile, ah, go with them too. All right. You ready? You ain't going to like it. Put yourself in the context. This has all kinds of Roman military stuff in it. Here's what this means. In the first century, in the Western and Eastern European, in the Israel, in any other place in the Roman Empire, if a Roman soldier came up to you and said, carry my stuff one mile, you had to do it. It was only one mile, and the rule was clear, really clear. There's a Greek verb in here, angaruo. And it's only used twice in the New Testament. This is one of the places. If a soldier, this means if a person, a soldier, angaruos you, it means you must carry this person's stuff one mile. So here's the context. The Romans looked down on and in a sense even loathed. They didn't, loathe. they didn't have to loathe them because they owned them. But they looked down on these Jewish people, this funny little tribe of people. And they thought they were a little bit less human. Certainly they didn't, they didn't think they were very intelligent. And the Roman soldiers would, might just think of them as dogs and call them, you dogs. And obviously that's an extraordinarily pejorative way to treat another human being. They, they thought their behavior was funny. They didn't understand anything about their worship. And they just looked down at them. And so a soldier who wasn't all that excited to be assigned to Jerusalem anyway. I mean, that wasn't the number one deal, right? He looks at the, he looks at the Jewish man. He says, carry my stuff. Now, how do you think the Jewish man feels? The first thing is, oh, they hated, loathed, despised the culture of the Romans, but being occupied by them. It was, they hated it. They got taxed. They were treated like dogs. They disrespected, they were disrespected, and the Jews themselves looked down on the Romans in their pagan culture. All this conflict and tension. And the soldier says, dog, carry my stuff. And the man got up, went to work about dawn. It's dusk. He's on his way home, and the soldier says, carry my stuff. A mile. He carries it. What does he do when he's finished carrying it? He goes home. Slams the door when he comes in, kicks the dog, screams at his kids, screams at his wife, grabs his meal, goes in his room, slams the door, eats alone, goes to sleep, wakes up the next morning. That's what happens. Not this time. Jesus said, carry it a second mile. Oh. You, don't, you don't want to do that. I don't want to do it. I mentioned the Greek word for enemy. Ekthros. Guess what Jesus says? This is verse 41. Guess what he says? Verse 44. Love your enemies. Ugh. I don't get it. Except I do. Because it's right here. Because there is a place in Paul's thinking where the word enemy gets used about us, all of us. We were God's enemies. Bam. Bam. 
this is what Jesus did about it. So he's talking his walk, and he's walking his talk, Jesus is. But let's go back in and think about what it means if the guy does take the extra mile mentality. The Jewish man who's called a dog by the Roman soldier and the Jewish man who's beginning to sense that the way God loves me is so different. It's a, an extra mile kind of love. It's an upside down kind of love. When what you and I want to do with our enemies is knock them out. But that's not what this man does. Let's, let's just imagine. The Roman soldier says to the, he says, you dog carry my back. And the man says, all right, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to be the aggressor here. I'm going to love this dude with, up with extra mile love. And he carries it the mile. The Roman soldier doesn't know what's coming. And the man says, bro, I got another mile in. Are you good with that? I'll carry it another mile. And off they go. And by the time they get to the second mile, the Roman soldier doesn't know what to do with himself. He is confused. He's puzzled. Maybe they talk. I don't know. And does this guy now, however, whatever conversation happened, what do you think the Roman soldier went home and told his wife? Man, this crazy Jew carried it an extra mile. What's going on with this guy? What, what do you think the Jewish man did when he got home? You think he kicked his dog and yelled at his kids? No. No, he had reconciled himself. He, he was no longer a victim of an oppressor. He was now in charge because he was loving with a radical extra mile mentality, not out of the power of himself. I hope we've made that clear. We're salt and we're light because we've been made that by God. It's not something we make of ourselves. In Psalm 118, it says God light, God's light shines in us. And therefore, we have light to shine. It's because we have a real relationship with Jesus Christ and with each other, it's plural, that we are truly, genuinely, really transforming. And therefore, we have something to give. And we can go an extra mile. Man, I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to go an extra mile. There's another place. Remember, I told you about that verb. I'll make sure I pronounce it correctly. Angaruo. It only occurs twice in the New Testament. Forced against your will, which was the rule, the Roman rule. It's a very technical term. Happens one other time in the New Testament. You know when it is? It's when Simon, the Jewish person from the island of Cyrene, who was in Jerusalem because of the Passover, the Roman soldiers grab him and say, carry that cross up the hill. Simon the Cyrene was angaruod. That's Hey, that's powerful. When Matthew writes that, he, he does not want you and me to miss a very unusual verb used twice. One of them is to teach the kind of love that Jesus is about, about in the instance of a Roman soldier, but the other one is the concrete march to the cross. And Jesus is going to die for us. And so he's teaching us how to go the extra mile by doing it himself for us first. Let's go back into the weeds with our own personal lives. Because guess what? Right now, every single one of us, every one of us, has someone. There's someone. Already, you're thinking who it is. Who is it that's hurt you? Who is, it's, is it a boss who's angry? Is it an obnoxious neighbor? Is it a spouse? Is it a parent? of unbelievably broken, rebellious child, of a friend 
who's, who's betrayed you or gossiped about you. Every one of us right now, and this is what I want you to do right now, who is it? I got them. You got them. And what Jesus is saying is, you're going to really understand what it means to be one of mine when you can begin to step into going the extra mile. So I want to remind you of something. Most of us are ordinary, everyday sinners. Okay? That's what most of us are. Most of us are that. Every one of us is at least that. Let me make that sure, clear. Every single person that's ever been born is, kid, is an ordinary, everyday sinner. And what that means is that it's likely that some ordinary, everyday sinner has hurt you or done something that makes you mad or it's a boss or whatever. There are some people in the world, and the Bible uses the term paneros, and sometimes the English gets translated wicked. Sometimes it gets translated evil. These are people, ordinary, everyday sinners. Here's how they go about things. They go, they do something. You, I do something. I go wrong. And then this is what I say. Oh, what did I do? I'm sorry. That's what an ordinary, everyday sinner says to your wife or to God or to whoever. A person who's paneros, kind of wicked or evil, this is what they, they won't say, I'm sorry. They won't own it. They won't repent. They won't not. They won't. And you know what else they'll do? Quickly, and this is happening to you right now, quickly they'll blame you. They'll flip it, scapegoat you. So your strategy, if, if you've been hurt by or you've hurt another ordinary everyday sinner, you just tell the truth. You just say, I'm sorry. And it works out. Everybody goes, okay, and you hug and you cry and whatever. Same way with Jesus. You just say, I blew it. He says, good, I'm, I'm good. You're good. Let's go. But with a person who's wicked, oh, you got to be more careful, way more careful, because the straight-up strategy won't work. And I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not trying to tell you what to do next. I just know it's real. Think about it. Ask yourself the question, in this person who I have in mind, are they ordinary, everyday sinner, or is there something else going on? And be sure that if there's something else going on, you, your strategy changes. Here's what also, I also need to say this. If you have been hurt... If you've been hurt or someone you care about has been hurt in the sense of abuse, uh, oh, careful. Now, there's nothing, there's nothing here Jesus is saying is you're just supposed to walk back into that and go an extra mile. That's not what this means. This, if that's the case for you, I want you to do two things. If you have never done so, tell somebody who you trust who is a Jesus follower who you know will never, ever tell anybody else. Do that. And then if, you do, if you're willing to do that, then I also want you to find a way to get somebody to help you because you didn't do anything wrong, but you got deeply, deeply hurt. And you, so, so don't, don't think I'm telling you to run back into it because I'm not. Run the, away from it. Back to the challenge. Who is it? Who is it who you need to think and clearly pray about and figure out how you can maybe reach out and extend in such a way to being care be smart but you're carrying it around inside and you're it's still hurting you even though it's over it, 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 so you you have to be an extra mile person with some somebody in your life 
and this is what's true for me, and I, I won't go into the details. I talked about it six months ago. I gave it a shot in a, in a situation, and it blew up in my face. It's all over. Except, guess what? I, I know now how to do it again when it happens again, and I'm confident that I am available to fix that one if that ever comes up. But I know I, I'm, I'm clear in the sense of my sense of self. No more regret. No more holding back. No more this person living inside of me. None of, none of the speeches going back and forth. Because I just humbly stepped out and tried to do the right thing. And yes, it blew up in my face. If you want to know more about that, ask me privately and I'll happily tell you. Look here. I'm going to step down to this and remind you. This is an extra mile mentality meal. Jesus is never asking us to do anything that he first hasn't already done for us. And when we, he takes up residence in us, individually and together as a family, the next thing you know, we have the ability to love people with the love that we, by which we've been loved. It doesn't make any sense. It seems wrong. It doesn't seem fair. All of those things. And yet, if they ask you to carry it for a mile, blow their mind and haul it another mile. Go home knowing that you then stepped into this with the presence and power of the love of God that you experience in your life. So here we are in front of the, in the table. This is an extra mile experience this morning. And I'm going to remind you of the meaning of this table. Um, the children are coming into the room now who have been studying the Lord's Prayer. Kathy told you about that already. And so we tied this so they could hear me talk about this and then they, they with all of us are going to say the Lord's Prayer in a few minutes but that's, that's what's happening right now Rachel is bringing in all these fantastic children who you could hear at the beginning of worship in the back hooting and hollering like we were in this room can y'all hear me in the back are we ready Miss Rachel so online you can't see them but there's a couple of three dozen kids in the back of the room and so we had planned to have them come in and join us because in a few minutes they've been studying the Lord's Prayer and crew and we're, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer aloud together here. In but let me, let me remind you of this. This is the Lord's table. And I'm looking down at the great Apostle Paul and how he described it. So this is the most formal language that you've heard from me in a long time about this presentation here, about what's going on in front of us. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this. He writes, On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This bread is my body, given for you. When you eat it, remember me. In the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. When you drink it, drink it remembering me. And then Paul says at the end of that, editorially, he says, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim Jesus' death until he comes again. Friends, when we eat this bread and drink this cup and live extra mile lives, we proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus until he comes again. That's what's going on at this table, in this room right now today. As a way of uniting ourselves 
We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer aloud together. It's going to come up on the screen. I want you to look because there are three different words that people use across English language for one part of it. And so we're going to say debts and debtors. This is a way for us to join ourselves with the children who've been studying it, but also for us hearing the more traditional language from Paul and then praying this prayer that Christians have prayed for 2,000 years. We're surrounding ourselves with the heritage of what it means to be light and salt because we're doing it together and we're now doing it together with every Christian who's ever followed Jesus since day one. So as a corporate act of faith and prayer and declaration of God's goodness, let us now pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth.